0: New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Well, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Today, coming to you from lockdown uh, here in New Zealand, uh, Henry
1: Burrell, welcome. Great to have you back on the show. How are you? I'm good, thanks for having me, Paul. Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, just discussing the glamour of, uh, of my non Non glamorous background, um, yeah. So locked up in Mount Roskill, but yeah, can't complain. Um, all going well, thanks. How are you?
0: Excellent, excellent. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll probably find we're uh, we're only a stone's throw from uh, from each other because uh, I'm I'm in a similar area. Oh, cool. um, maybe you can give uh, give listeners a little bit of an intro of where you fit into this big wide world of uh,
1: tech and, and journalism here in New Zealand. Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, hi everyone. I'm the uh, tech editor at Business Desk, where if you haven't heard of us, uh, we're an online news website, obviously, like we all are. Um, and we yeah, concentrate, as the name would suggest, on business news. And so I report on technology in New Zealand, whether that's the startups, the incumbents, um, the, te- the actual tech we use every day, and just trying to keep a, a hold, really, of a very uh, yeah innovative sector, which keeps me very busy.
0: Excellent. Um, yeah, no, I really, really appreciate that Business Desk has has taken that extra focus on on technology since you've come on board, and there's been some really good uh, content um, from you know in the last few days. I've you know a bunch of articles of interest. Uh, Peter Griffin's been writing on there, so we're going to delve into um, some of these these I think really timely uh, topics. That, that are important to new New Zealand, some changes that' is happening in terms of our our broadband here in New Zealand, which which is coming from chorus we 've got that competition going on with our mobile carriers who are sort of trying to compete with the fiber, and of course we 've got Starlink from SpaceX coming into the mix as well to to stir things up a uh, little bit of discussion around uh, contact uh, tracing some changes in uh, in the area of Wi-Fi calling, which I'm sure some will appreciate, new technology coming in to uh, solve some of the uh, MIQ, managed isolation uh, issues, uh, something new from Segway, which uh, which looks rather interesting, and then a big, big shake-up, you know, possibly coming through uh, when it comes to the, the way uh, we, we purchase our mobile apps and a few other topics in there as well in, in terms of uh new new things from uh, from the likes of uh, apple that are rumored and uh, and new things that are actually here from uh, from Samsung here this month so um we'll we'll jump straight in so yeah f- first up chorus had announced these uh, these new sort of i guess you you call them um you know, base plans for our uh, our fiber connectivity or, or ultra-fast broadband uh, here in New Zealand. And when um, when the ultra-fast broadband was, was launched, the base um, speed off the top of my head, can, I, I'm not even sure if I can believe that it was true, I think was a, a speed of um, 30 megabits um, right. download yep. and 10 megabits per second upload. And things have... Have really come come a long way. Um, so in recent times, that uh, uh, for the last few years, it's been a, a hundred slash twenty as the minimum uh, connection speed for uh, for fibre. Uh, and chorus have announced that they are, they are going to uh, they're going to bump that along. Uh, a bit further to uh, 300 megabits per second as the base speed, which is a nice three times increase. But I think you know possibly more exciting as the upload speeds are going up by five times uh, to 100 megabits per second. And you know, for I guess uh, you know a, a lot of folks who maybe have have been constrained in terms of what they're able to uh, spend on their connection. That's going to make a um, you know a very nice uh difference to them uh, possibly there's there's a um, a side effect I, I don't know whether you think this would be true if someone's signing up for a new connection that maybe has gone for a gigabit in the past and just mm. because they could and it was really cool and fast um, do you think some of those people might say well um, a move to a three hundred slash one hundred actually for uh for most people is going to be you know, it's going to be quite uh,
1: quite adequate and unlikely to be maxed out. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the first thing to remember, I think, when we talk about it, we, we often get stuck in the weeds with the, the numbers and everything. And a lot of people, you know, me included, to be honest, consumers, we, we don't really know what these numbers actually mean. It's really hard to quantify them. So when Chorus says, well, there's got so many moving parts of this story, when Chorus says it's going to triple uh, speeds uh, for upload and download, as he said, but at no extra cost, it's at no extra cost to the uh, retail partners. So, so yeah. it at so a wholesale level, right? Yeah. yeah. So there's no, there's no actual guarantee here. Even though Chorus would have you have the public believe, oh, great, we're tripling things for free. And they may well, it, it, for some retail partners, you might not actually see that cost down the end. Uh, but there's actually no guarantee that the consumer won't pay more. But I'm not here to be completely pessimistic about it all. Three times speed is great. Um, and it, it will uh, apparently be ready by December. So we might find, depending on your broadband retailer and if you're part of the Chorus network, which is about – over seventy-five percent of uh, the UFB network, um, you you might see uh, you know a little Christmas present from your provider saying you've got three times faster speed now, and that would be great for you know for for PR. Uh, I think what what will be uh, interesting is yeah whether people will pay more for gigabit now. Um, gigabit is great, but it depends what you're doing. And it's, internet isn't all about speed either. It's also you know as as, as you well know, Paul. Um, Latency, congestion, and when we're all at home as well, if everyone's uh, in their their offices or if they're lucky enough like us to be able to work from home, then the network can suffer sometimes. And I think Cora said in that release that the uh, average household on the network is using about 500 gigabytes of data a month now, and that's quite a lot, Um, yeah.
0: And yeah, I'm and sure. and as you say, there are there are there are lots of uh, moving parts. Latency, um, you know, as part of it, which is sort of the you know the delay when you communicate, and that impacts people most if they're doing something like this, a voice or a mm-hmm. video call, if they're gaming, those sort of scenarios that that makes a, makes a really big yeah. big difference if there's too much of a delay. The other aspect is the the competition, right? Why, why are chorus doing this? Is it out of the generosity of their hearts that they that they you <laughs> you know think that we should all have faster broadband or is it something to do with the fact that we've got now really you know two two or you know, at least two other um you know options in the in the market for for their customers mm. one is what comes from our mobile uh, networks, so we're talking two degrees um spark and vodafone in terms of being able to uh, offer some some you know really strong uh, broadband uh, but delivered over the mobile networks, and of course they've, they've been very much sort of competing on price. So, chorus don't want to bring their bring their prices down. I'm, I'm sure mm. they're not keen on a price war. So, uh, bumping up the speeds helps. Uh, mm. And and then the other one, which is isn't so much a direct compete with with fibre at all. But is is going to uh, be impacting some of you know some of those providing the the mobile connectivity to especially to rural um, locations uh, is of course Starlink from uh, from SpaceX which yep. is is becoming very broadly available in in New Zealand now and you know pretty much people all over the country um, have got these connections some um, active I spoke to uh, uh, Andy Banks over the weekend who's just outside of Auckland and uh you know he was telling me he 's got he 's you know seeing speeds up to two hundred and fifty five uh, two hundred and fifty megabits a, a second you know com- coming off that uh that unlimited satellite uh connection and yep. I got confirmation last week that my my order is um is ready to go as as right. well um, not that you need that in uh in in <laughs> central auckland, but uh, you have to test out these technologies and uh see how they fly so yeah it's uh that's that's really moving along at
1: at a pace now well of course yeah and like, the, like you say obviously that's a very fast speed and not everyone needs that but of course that is always going to be the case when hardly anyone is on a network then it's going to be really fast right and sometimes even if a, a, a network is offering triple speeds it's not necessarily going to be um able to provide that all the time and it's like like ben ben says in the chat there uh thanks uh, it's 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 dependent on the isp to provide that speed as well. And that's the other thing, because even if Chorus isn't putting up the wholesale price, there's still going to be questions about whether or not um, the ISPs who are providing the service are going to have to spend in order to actually allow their networks uh, to cope with that that extra speed and that extra capacity. So uh, watch this space. You might have triple speeds by Christmas, but um, it's not all that simple.
0: Yeah, no, you're you're right, and um, the yeah the the comment that we've got come in um just live through uh, this is Ben Simpson who's coming on uh, LinkedIn, and I know this is predominantly a, a an audio show, we are a podcast, <laughs> but for those who do choose to uh, catch the live stream, it does give you a chance to uh, um you know to interact with us at times. And um, Ben Simpson's made the comment that the ISP still has to deliver that speed, the bottleneck as the ISP as it always has been. Um I would actually debate that. Um and it's a little bit unfair on Ben because he's not uh, uh joining us uh live. But yeah, I ben. you know I would say that the that what we predominantly see as the big issue is the Wi Fi around uh, around folks' homes. Yeah. And uh that you know that's still an ongoing uh that's still an ongoing challenge. But um you know we we do see certain uh internet providers are uh, really Putting a big focus on that Wi-Fi uh, piece, and in fact, um, you know, a friend of mine was putting um, you know some some questions online last week around which internet service provider. Um, yep. You know, should should I use? And you know, certainly, um, you know, not not my place to be, uh, you know, picking one internet service provider that Kiwis should be using. Um, but you know, I said, uh, you know, probably the the most important thing from his perspective as a consumer um, is keeping it very very simple and going to an internet provider um, that's going to provide him with a reasonable Wi-Fi coverage around his home um yep. and you know without knowing all the facts um, you know mesh Wi-Fi could could be part of that uh, that mix you obviously mm. get benefits of wiring up your different access points and so on directly back to your base station and and that's probably outside of the scope of our chat today um, but it is one of those important factors you can have a yep. really fast connection and Wi-Fi that doesn't cover your house or is very very slow um, and uh, you know you you could be paying a lot more for a fast or a chunk more for a faster connection and not getting the benefits so uh, yeah exactly yeah. and
1: you t- you touched on it earlier as well about the challenge from um what we're mainly talking at the moment about you know Vodafone Spark the two degrees are there as well with the the fixed wireless uh plans they've gone into a bit of hot water in the past about you know potentially mismarketing those and uh, not being clear enough I mean fixed fixed line um could be accused of the same thing but I mean the challenge now is that when you're seeing fewer fixed wireless plans on 4G and 5G with you know no data caps for a, a price that I would still say is expensive, but is comparable to uh, you know um, fibre broadband, um, there are fewer reasons for people to not buy into this. I think there's just a, a problem with how the services and marketers to New Zealanders and people understanding what they're actually buying. And then of course we could go down the whole you know route of like like you were saying before, people in rural areas or places where fiber uh, doesn't reach what's best for them. Um, so it, yeah, it's a constantly evolving, very confusing, <laughs> regulatory <laughs> filled, um, jargon area. Um, but broadly speaking, New Zealand is ahead, um, of many other countries. Uh, it's just, um, it, it's kind of lagging in terms of affordability. We're pretty high on the, the OECD. I believe I did, um, some research recently and, um, I think New Zealand is the seventh most expensive entry level, uh, fibre broadband plan um in the OECD which is not the most expensive but it, it, it could be it could be a lot better and obviously we don't have long enough to go into the reasons why it's that expensive but um affordability can definitely be an issue
0: yeah yep for sure um and and there have been some things done to uh to you know try and uh, address that and to um um you know certain segments of the population are giving giving access to uh broadband at some very very low rates um yeah. and that's been quite encouraging to uh to see um I, I saw something i think there, there's probably a number of telcos involved in that space um but you know I saw something from i think it was skinny um you know around uh, around their their offering They're probably in conjunct, possibly in conjunction with the Spark Foundation, Um, but you know, good good initiatives to to make broadband available to those that might not traditionally be able to afford it. Um, I saw recently, I think it was um, uh, New York that were um, legislating that uh, internet providers would have to provide some sort of very low cost plan um for for those on low incomes uh which right. i thought was a really interesting um sort of you know take so rather than rather than sort of leave that open uh for these firms to um to come up with their own initiatives, just to uh, just to to force their hand. Um, I'm not quite sure how that landed. It looked like there was a chunk of a chunk of pushback. Uh, potentially, you're putting cost onto uh, onto onto other users. Um, but it is, I think it's it's helpful for us here in New Zealand to see what is being done in other markets and what can we learn from and and take away uh, from those things because undoubtedly it, it's you know important that we get rid of that uh that digital divide and we you know don't have um you know people coming through the education system uh who just completely you know lack access uh especially mm. times like this when when we're locked down and uh you know it's it's going to be pretty hard to be uh doing a lot of learning with, without any um online access um into uh into other topics uh Bluetooth contact tracing. Um, this this one hasn't had a had a lot of attention actually. Um, I was yeah. probably a, a little bit you know surprised that um, after all the the effort that's uh, gone to uh, to build in this blue tech blue Bluetooth uh, contact tracing capability um, into the NZ COVID tracer app um, that it's there's had very very little uh, use. And I mean, I was certainly a bit, a bit critical of the um, the app, and and I guess the sort of ecosystem around it, and the communications, and you know, stores not knowing about barcodes and so on initially. But uh, look, when I look at at how that's just continued to improve over time, um, I think they've done a very very good job uh, with the app. Um, mm-hmm. But there, there's a little bit of a void of information
1: around um, Bluetooth. What's uh, what's your take on this one, Henry? Yeah, I agree with you, Uh, compared to some other countries, UK included, New Zealand's um, integrated the app into people's, well, just, you know, in terms of awareness very well, but also New Zealand uses the Google Apple exposure notification framework, I believe that's what it's called. Um, And that was when Google and Apple put down their boxing gloves and actually did something together for once. Um, (laughs) And they basically, in your phone, um, that underlying framework allows for Bluetooth, if your phone is compatible, that's a whole other thing. Uh, and if you turn it on i believe there are two million people uh, in new zealand who have turned that on now or at least two two million devices and what happens is your phone and it was also said that uh, this is andrew chen who is a very knowledgeable uh, professor he he writes a, a lot on the issue he he was saying that um in order for you to the bluetooth notification thing to realize you've been in close contact with somebody you have to be uh, in, within two meters of them and for 15 minutes or more. And what happens is your phone will um, log anonymously all of the different keys, uh, anonymous keys identifiers from your phone and another phone. And it will log them in your phone and you'll keep them on the device. But the problem here is that in the last outbreak, somebody noticed that uh, the government wasn't calling on this information. Uh, necessarily uh, when their contact tracing efforts and that's because the information is stored on the phone so what happens is that contact tracers need to go to every single person who is um, COVID positive and they need to ask them to manually send that data from their phone in the settings to contact tracers and apparently this is what hasn't been done and the government claims that I think it just sounds as though um, that's a lot of work and contact tracing has been by all accounts, fairly successfully done using um, just the scanning in and people's uh, recollections of where they were. Uh, obviously, there have been, you know, a few articles out there, a few uh, journalists um, asking why not use this, but it does seem to be potentially, although the government hasn't really confirmed this, is that there's a lot more work to get those um, that data out there, uh, and it's not as automated as it might seem, so that's possibly why they're not using it. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Hopefully interesting. that made
0: sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's it. I do find it, you know, a little, a little bit hard to, um, to get my head around some of the explanations that I that I heard because, um, it almost came as a bit of a sort of a shock when, mm. uh, I think it was Ashley um, Blomfield who was, um. Um, was asked about it, or might have been the prime minister, and they, oh, we'll give them a nudge to do that, like just like it had yeah. been
1: completely forgotten. It was, it was kind of weird. Yeah, that, it definitely it appears from. like that, but yeah. like, yeah, it's been well built into the app. But um, again, I think it probably just shows us that contact tracing tools are there. They give, they give, they give them to us. We, we should use them, but then it's not necessarily uh, always going to be used. And it's good to have the option, I suppose. And in this case, it's been deemed that contact tracing was quicker potentially um if they didn't have to go through that process
0: yeah i mean what i recall from what i heard in the uk is when this had happened you they the person that had got it would trigger something um Mm. you know the code or whatever um that's not a good explanation but anyway what would happen is anyone who had had been within their um you know that that had, I guess, crossed that um, that boundary, which in this case, fifteen minutes sounds, you know, ter- actually like a really long a long time, yeah. um, and maybe isn't isn't as as um, as as helpful as it could be um,
1: with, the, with the Delta because, yeah.
0: Delta variant, right? But um, mm. what was happening there was, you know, people were getting alert on their phone. Um, the government wouldn't know who they were, but at least that yeah. person was getting alert and saying, hey, you need to go and isolate for two weeks. Um, mm-hmm. You need to get a test and so on, right? So it seemed like very little effort to actually just get that and trigger it. Um, so, yeah. uh, you know, it would seem to me that they sh- they should, um, you know, they should make
1: that happen. Yeah, I mean, that, that phenomenon in the, in the UK is now being referred to as the ping-demic, where everyone's phones kept getting pinged. So unfortunately, <laughs> what that meant in a country that has um you know uh, numbers so dealt with COVID. COVID a lot worse um yeah people were just uninstalling the app because they didn't want to be pinged so it depends how your public reacts to these kind of things and like you say with delta there's also been a suggestion i think it was andrew chen again um he's he's the, he's the the source of knowledge on this uh he was saying that potentially the, like you mentioned the 15-minute model might have to be reworked for delta but then that means that people are going to be pinged a lot more often Yeah. If you know if you're just passing someone in the street and it means that Bluetooth says you you have to get a test, then you might be overwhelming testing centres.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well. Um. Yeah. Good. Good to delve delve into uh, delve into that one anyway. And I look. I think. Um. The there is um you know value in and uh giving these things a little bit of oxygen and um you know the part of the reason why we we've ended up um you know with with such a good uh capable app um and with the attention on it has um You know, being because it has been talked about, um, because Ministry of Health have been releasing you know the data, so you can you can see what's going on there. Um, So um, I I think it certainly doesn't doesn't hurt to uh, um, to keep highlighting these things. Um, Vodafone have uh, have announced that they're bringing Wi-Fi calling to uh, their network, and that will vary basically device by device. Is my um understanding of it from uh somebody i chatted to um um, I won't say which telco or when or even if they were in New Zealand, but um you know, to have some interesting discussion around some of the behind the scenes on on how features like Wi-Fi calling uh are now rolled out and um mm. quite tightly controlled um by the the phone manufacturers as well so you know the, the, the we we saw with this announcement um that it, you know it looks like um it'll be. Samsung phones that are going to be leading the way. Um, Oppo ones will be coming through. Uh, For Apple, it will come through in conjunction with a a future update uh, from Apple. And that might leave some people scratching their head because, you know, don't iPhones already have a Wi-Fi calling um, capability? Well, yes, they do. Um but Apple have to sign off on on you know the whole thing, and then they push uh, they push an update um uh out to uh to phones or or it 'll come probably as part of this next um iOS fifteen um update wave from from the way i i was reading the uh the Vodafone um press release so yeah things have um have have changed to a point where there is um, there 's a lot of control in the hands of um Um, you know, certain mobile phone uh, manufacturers and the way these things uh, fit together. um, And they need to fit together really well for it to work. The way Wi-Fi calling, um, or I guess the benefits of Wi-Fi calling is basically that your call, instead of going over the mobile network, you have that option of it traveling over Wi-Fi. Um, And for me, there'd be two scenarios under where that's really helpful. Maybe you're at a location that has got a good, you know, internet connection, but doesn't have good mobile access, such as in a rural uh, location uh, where maybe you've got Starlink and that's your only option because you're, you know, way out of the way. Um, Or the other would be if you're traveling overseas, which isn't going to be for too many Kiwis right now, to be fair, uh, whereby you can actually do those calls where normally you'd be charged a lot for roaming and those calls actually just take place over, you know, whatever uh, Wi-Fi networks are uh, available. Is that uh, your, your take on it, Henry?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting um, given that Two Degrees has had this for a few years now. And, and if you check their website, they seem to have a, a much wider range of devices supported. Um, but yeah, Vodafone doing it is good if you're on Vodafone. Um, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, it doesn't. Uh, mean that these calls are free. These tech, these are the questions that I had from some of my colleagues. It's not like you know using a, a an over the top service like WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger or anything like that. You're still going to be charged for those calls and texts. They're just going over like you say a different a different network. I think it's good. Um, it's just it's just odd that it's, it's a little late, and I believe that Spark doesn't actually offer it at the moment either. But you are right in that um, yeah, iOS 15 will bring the update to New Zealanders on, on all compatible iPhones. But, um, yeah, you're going to have to check. And I'm not sure if it's something that everyone's uh, looking for or indeed knows exists.
0: <laughs> no, no. Well, there are, there are a lot of these, uh, you know, capabilities that are technically, you know, possible. One of the ones we've been waiting on, um, is this um, the eSIMs for Vodafone network and an ability to, with that eSIM to, um, or maybe it's t- t- two degrees, I don't think, have eSIM at all. Uh, mm. Vodafone, have they, I th- Oh, I can't remember if they've partially got it maybe they don't have it at all but certainly that ability to be able to have a you know have an Apple Watch with one number um, yep. really it's only Spark that have been able to implement that so far I remember Jason Paris telling me a reasonable chunk over 18 months ago that uh, uh, you know by mid 2020 they were going to have that capability um, mm. and they don't yet but it's um, yeah, it's one of these these quite niche things that's quite a bit of effort time cost they've got other, lots of other projects going on and um yeah they they usually eventually get here and uh yeah, yeah. No, i mean nice nice to see vodafone have uh, got this one uh, at least partially uh you know ticked off their list and yeah. um yeah you know, long may
1: the competition continue right yeah, I mean, if we're being pessimistic after our, our talk about fixed wireless, um, these a lot of these telcos in New Zealand have actually prioritised doing voice over LTE, which is obviously when the uh, your voice call goes over the 4G network instead of the 2G. So um, by all accounts, they want you to still make calls on their networks rather than uh, the Wi-Fi you might get from Chorus.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, uh, very much so. Now, um, jumping jumping back to a sort of COVID situation, um yeah. The other thing that's, um, that's been announced is around this um, change to the MIQ system or managed isolation and quarantine, uh, where, whereby, well, if we, if we look, look at the, the situation that's been around um, since they've had this online uh, booking system, there's been a lot of people really frustrated and frustrated because they can't just go in and um, and book a place because there's only so many places uh, available in, uh, in the MIQ system and there wasn't really the smarts there around uh, fairly distributing that. So, you know, we heard of people using um, bots and sort of automations to uh, uh, to try and snaffle those spots. We heard of people having their whole family um, sort of spread out and, and, you know, clicking on the uh, MIQ uh, booking uh, page uh, sort of 24-7 to try and get bookings uh, and you know, varying other techniques, people out outsourcing it, um, so somebody would sit there and 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 do it for them. Um, so yeah, lots of uh, lots of challenges. And this was, I guess, yeah, because because of the nature of the technology that was uh, that was in place, Australia seemed to take a different approach to the technology, whereby. Um, and I think this this may have some other challenge. Well, would have had some challenges associated, particularly with um, how where we're placing people who have caught COVID. Um, mm-hmm. But because they had some, you know, dedicated accommodation, uh, they were able to basically tell the airlines, "Look, you can sell this many seats, and uh, we'll make sure that there's um, there's accommodation uh, associ- associated." Um, and I'm not quite sure that ha- how that happened in terms of. Families and quite how they would um, how they would work that out, but that was their approach. You know, they applied the the technology to to it that way. Um, now New Zealand's taking an approach to what they're uh, referring to as a virtual lobby. Um, what's your uh, what's your take? Have you got a, a picture on how um, how this is actually uh, going to work, Henry?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, the whole thing in general, just from the human side of it, is so heartbreaking because the people who wanting wanting to be coming home, they're not people They're not holiday makers, are they? You have to be resident or, you know, a citizen. So it's people who want to come back um, and probably be with their families. Um, I've got a colleague who, who had to unfortunately um, go and attend her mother's funeral abroad and then coming back was just an absolute nightmare. And the last thing you need when a lot of people are traveling for, you know, emotional reasons, but from the technology side of things uh yeah I, again it's it's a bit like how new zealand has a um a very finite number of miq places in the first place the infrastructure is not necessarily there in terms of being able to house all the people who want to come back uh, under this system so the virtual lobby was interesting um just the fact that it's randomized and i know that it's not uh ideal the way they had it before when people were you know employing other people to just madly click um, and you know often uh, uh, you know immorally charging for the privilege Um, But yeah, I think Chris Hipkins, I had his quote up here. Um, I believe it's Hipkins. The lobby is a virtual queue that will mean people can be selected from the queue randomly. And he also said that those who miss out would then be informed. And it also meant that people no longer needed to rely on being the fastest to click buttons. So it does kind of solve one issue for sure, which is the gaming of the system. Um, But then New Zealand still has the issue, um, which isn't a technology issue. I don't think that there aren't enough spaces for everybody. And I don't know how you solve that with technology.
0: Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a that's a a bigger problem that's not going to be solved as uh, as as quickly, and yeah, I mean, it it is it is heartbreaking. There's a whole lot of different scenarios uh, out there, and you know, the current outbreak has just made things um, harder. So, in fact, that you know, the lobby system and and uh, you know, any sort of MIQ booking is is pretty much on um, on hold um, at the moment, yeah. Um, now into uh, into uh, gadgets, I saw news about a Segway branded robotic lawnmower, um, yeah. and uh, I'm, I, you know, I've got got to say, I've sort of a- always uh, had an interest in uh, in any of these kind of you know autonomous uh, gadgets. And uh, so the the lawnmowers have, have have been of of interest, along with the uh, um, you know robotic vacuum cleaners. But the the technology maybe hasn't moved along you know quite as fast as what uh, mm. um, you know some might like. So it was a little bit of a surprise to hear of um, of Segway getting into this particular um, field and. I, I guess in, in in most part it's it's really just to do with the brand recognition. They bought the Segway um um the the Segway name and they can now apply um you know, apply that really to um you know, to any product. Um any product that they that they they launch, and of course, Segway, um, you know, now um, is part of uh, Ninebot, which is a, a, a Beijing. Um, you know, robotics uh, company, and I think we're going back sort of about six years ago since that uh, since that acquisition. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you can imagine applying that Segway name has still got a a broad enough recognition that it that it becomes helpful. Um, the the thing that stood out to me with this um, announcement that seems to be the the biggest thing that seems to be different um, is that we're you know we're talking about it being controlled by a sort of traditional. Uh, navigation system like gps um rather than the um the wire which seems to be the normal way that um robotic lawn mowers work is you have to sort of lay down a um you know un- under the under your lawn um a sort of a wire perimeter to uh, mark the edge and of course if that uh that wire gets you know broken or, or damaged that causes some problems um, so this one looks looks pretty good. Um, it can handle quite steep um, angles, forty five um, degrees. So it's going to probably work on a on a you know broad range of um, properties. Um, looked like it was around the two thousand dollars sort of um, starting price, and um, they've sort of cleverly um, scaled the pricing based on how much lawn you've actually got to. Uh, Got to <laughs> cut. So, how's your lawn uh,
1: looking at the moment, uh, Henry? Is this the answer you yeah. <laughs> I didn't. Um, I didn't know about the uh, the wiring under the lawn thing. I was actually about to chime in and say, uh, yeah, we, we get around that that issue by not actually having a, a lawn at all. <laughs> so, um, yeah, not not one that I'll be. Uh, I'll, I'll be purchasing. Um, I have. I don't actually own. I, I in a previous previous job, I reviewed a lot of consumer technology and um, reviewed a couple of the robot vacuums, which can be they can be pretty fun. But I mean, I presume the same the same problem applies to the uh, lawnmower, right? Like, doesn't it fill up incredibly quickly? It's a very small unit. Yeah, uh, does it, does well, it go I don't. Into I don't
0: think it collects the grass. Um, the, right. the 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 reading that I took of it is that it, it sort of does these micro cuts, so it's tri- you know uh, aiming to trim off. And you have got different settings. Different height settings as a as a normal lawnmower would, um, mm. but it talked about it potentially operating as often as daily and just taking a millimeter off. And so, if you take a <laughs> millimeter of grass off, then that can just fall back and it becomes you know natural compost across your uh, you know across your lawn. And it's not really going to be too visible. So, um, and also it, it's um, you know I think it's it's pretty quiet um i can't Mm. remember the exact number was it um 45 db or something so not a not what we're used to this is an electric lawnmower just trims a little bit off um and on a regular basis so quite different i think to the way we usually Mm. think of um of lawn mowing actually um so I mean, it's certainly at a higher um, price point that probably not everyone's going to be racing out to get these. But when you when you look at uh, what it's what it's offering, um, it uses that GPS. I think there's also a little um, um, aerial that you can you know you can put up in your ground that that's part of it as well. So that allows it to really um, be super 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 accurate. Uh so yeah the the overall approach from the bits and pieces I've seen on it um sounds really good and I can see others taking this approach going forward and really you're talking about a you know a smaller probably smaller than than normal um lawn mower with a bit of smartphone tech attached to it ability for it to return to base and and, and charge itself um so you know I would imagine in a in a few years time uh, this sort of approach or whatever the next iteration it is um, becomes quite commonplace, becomes actually really, really good and, uh, and useful. Uh, and, yeah. you know, sub $1,000 type price point, but it could be a
1: few years off yet um, and maybe eventually sub $500. Yeah, definitely. This it sort of sounds like the sort of thing that will be, become more normal. My question to you, I suppose, is you're you're a Tesla owner, I believe. So, would you sooner trust the automation of a of a robot um lawn, lawnmower, or are you, are you are you genuinely waiting until uh until your Tesla can drive you around and you can put your feet up because that's the kind of automation that scares me still. Uh, yeah,
0: look, I mean, I think there's room for all all, all sorts of automations, and and I mean, certainly where uh, where Tesla are at the moment, you know, those that are interested in where autonomous autonomous uh, driving is from, um, you know, various perspectives should have a look around at what's on uh, what's on YouTube. I think hmm. the um, Tesla are are about to um, reveal their their uh, their next beta um of the, the um you know the FSD software they're at this nine point two beta at the moment. Um but watching people in in the vehicles with that uh with that beta um it's starting to get quite encouraging in terms of you know, just how capable it is. It's uh it's probably got a long way to go yet. We're starting to start to see um you know just how hard this uh this stuff is and I've seen Waymo videos uh, where, you know, the um, uh, Alphabet or, you know, Google cars are uh, mm-hmm. driving around. And, of course, they operate quite differently and they're there in a, in a pre-mapped area where they've just got huge amount of metadata um, up front. And so it's pre-worked out where they can and can't drive. Um, but it's interesting when you see uh how that tech can fail as well uh, even when you've gone to that nth degree of of mapping it all out and then there's some road cones or something in an area that it's not expecting and you know here we are i guess um you know over 10 years down the track on that technology and and it's still struggling um whereas you know a few others like mobile eye and and tesla are um uh, you know taking taking that approach of they're going to they're going to look at uh, um look at what what's available um through the cameras and uh and drive accordingly um i'm i'm pretty hopeful that we'll we'll see some access to that um you know that particular tech um, next year, at some point, but uh, we'll see how it goes. And uh, the reminder, as always, keep your hands on the steering wheel when you're uh, <laughs> you're trying out this technology, and uh, don't fall asleep at the wheel, as I think some in the in the in the US, US yeah. have done, or take your eyes off the road. That's um, uh, still pretty dangerous.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll stick to the robots,
0: <laughs> the robot lawnmower. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, now b- back on to. Um, our other um yeah our other topics so rumors uh
1: that we might see some uh some new iphones very shortly yeah yeah same time of year like clockwork um Apple's probably going to announce some iphones within the next week or so um but uh yeah as with every year i suppose the question we should be asking is uh what can they actually change and it's always interesting i mean like um I kind of have to flip between devices for various things. Um, I'm lucky enough to use a few. Um, iPhones are good um, and they're very widely used in New Zealand, but what, what really is Apple going to add to the iPhone 12 at the moment that's uh, gonna be worth an upgrade, particularly if you've got the iPhone 12? I think the one thing that is rumored to be uh, getting uh, is the faster refresh rate display. So uh, all iPhones at the moment have a 60 Hertz refresh rate, which is perfectly good to be honest, But some higher-end Android phones and some cheaper ones now are spoiling people uh, with 120 hertz refresh rates or, or sometimes 90, but basically everything uh, scrolls faster um, and smoother, uh, app-depending, but it's kind of just a bit more of a um, you know, a smooth scrolling experience, which doesn't sound like a feature, but when you actually use it, it's quite nice. So they should be getting that. Uh, there's another couple of, um, I mean, uh, we've talked about satellite communications there. there. There's a rumor floating around that in this iphone or the next one apple wants to include um the possibility to send messages or place phone calls um on the satellite network rather than the cellular um i think this sounds more like a safety feature rather than apple daring to uh cut out the uh the mobile operators uh, fr- from the middle there because they obviously do a lot of their business for them um but that's still interesting but i don't know from your point of view um, um as, as somebody who uses an iphone what does your current iPhone not have that Apple could actually add that would uh, mean that you would be encouraging people to go and spend again a year later?
0: Look, I mean, I think people have to, um, you know, pick what suits them in terms of, you know, how and when they they buy devices and, and, and what they buy. Um, yeah. You know, for, for me, I enjoy, uh, you know, across, um, you know, a range of phones, just how good the cameras have um, have become. Um, I enjoy having a a a bit more zoom. Um, You know, I think they they you know Apple have have at times not delivered. You know, great. great photography but uh in recent years i think they've you know they've been very very strong on that front um yeah. you know probably the the, the biggest shortfall for or, or disappointing thing from um an apple perspective if you were looking for something um on that front would would be to do with the sort of zoom levels and they've certainly stepped that up a a, a little bit uh, that said, on the flip side, you look at Samsung with you know hundred times, uh, you know not just Samsung, but you know Samsung and um, um, and 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 others. Um, who yeah' got these sort of ridiculous hundred times yeah. zooms that that aren't aren't real and uh, you know the it, it's just a it's a complete you know joke um so interesting yeah, yeah asking people yeah.
1: what they actually want as well from the, from the from their cameras because obviously we, we sometimes test and review these things and we can get a bit caught up as you say and you know 100 times zoom but it doesn't look very good and you know I ask a lot of my friends what they want and uh, they're, they're all actually about the wide angle camera um they say yeah some of the zoom in the iphone cameras isn't that great and actually the the regular iphone 12 doesn't even have optical zoom um mm. but as soon as as soon as you know my wife the first time she had a camera uh phone sorry with a wide angle camera she was blown away and that was what you know you get more in uh so sometimes <laughs> um, people don't actually want to zoom they want to get further away <laughs> yeah well you definitely have
0: to i mean these days you need that wide angle or ultra wide angle um yeah, i think every, everyone's certainly got uh Got very used to having that capability. Mm. Um, you know, I like to have the zoom as well. But um, the the yeah the 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 rumour around the um, the satellite connectivity. Um, to me, that just that seems a little a little bit um, a little bit far fetched at this stage. But um, you know, of of course, we're always getting surprised by technology, and uh, you know, there are things that sort of come to market. We look at look at um, you know Samsung's um, folding devices, and um, you know, to think that you can um, you can you know fold the screen on a on a phone, and that it's going to um, you know actually not. You know, not not bust it, and it's actually going to work. Um, mm. That's uh, that's you know that that's pretty cool, and you know we've got that sort of tech technology, um, you know today, and um, you know there's 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 a few people competing um, in that space, but uh, but largely Samsung um, satellite connectivity. I mean, you raised an interesting point there. How how would this play out for? Um, for Apple versus uh, those that have, that have sold their handsets uh, if they were able to get to a point where, uh, you know, you could, uh, you could just, you know, sign up uh, directly uh, with, with Apple and get your connectivity uh, that way. But, oh, man, yeah. uh, I, I mean, I think you make a good point. Yeah. If it does come through, it's likely to be more that kind of emergency type of connectivity. Uh, they cut some sort of uh,
1: deal at, at that level. Um yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, interesting talking about those uh, yeah, those folding phones as well. Is that the uh, you were just holding up the uh, fold three there, were you? Yeah, yeah. Sam, yeah. Samsung
0: yeah. um um z flip as i see the one that you've reviewed um you've re- reviewed uh very recently yeah. um and uh, and and you know a very nice phone it, i mean it takes me back to the old uh the old flip phones from um, from motorola and so on back in the yeah, yeah. uh, um, back in the day and you know i'd certainly be going back to uh to the 90s if i remember my first um you know flip phone and yeah. uh, look that, that Technology worked uh, worked pretty well for what we needed to do back then, which was make a phone call uh, and the the newest generation of it looks uh, looks pretty good um, too what What was sort of the highlight of your experience on that
1: yeah i mean it's very impressive I, I had it for a couple of weeks i'd send it back to Samsung now, but I did review it and um, yeah, I think the way that I kind of summed it up was it 's a few generations in now, but it feels like it's the first phone that happens to fold <laughs> rather than it's a folding phone. If you see what I mean, it's kind of it, everything it does when it's opened, um, like a flip phone would, it's just like a normal phone, really. The screen is slightly skinnier, but um, apart from that crease in the middle, which obviously some people might not be able to get over um, and you can feel the ridge. But yeah, it just kind of, uh, I mean, apart from the battery life, which actually is incredibly bad, <laughs> in my <laughs> opinion, Yeah, it's yeah. got to stuff into a small thing, but we'll ignore that for now. Um, yeah, like it kind of just works like a normal phone. And the pricing as well is, is quite impressive. And it's interesting that Samsung is kind of playing on like the nostalgia of people who remember actual flip phones and then like a newer, you know, Gen Z generations who might not have had one and is using it more of just a fashion accessory at a price that's roughly the same as an iPhone. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah, this year I think $700 cheaper in New Zealand. Um, Yeah. It could be a lot more accessible and it's kind of something that my friend back in, back in England actually went and bought one it's the first uh, time that, you know, somebody who's not fully, uh, you know, just a tech reviewer has actually in my experience gone out and spend their money on one. So it's definitely becoming more accessible. Um, but I mean, again, anecdotally, sometimes I show it to people and they say, why on earth would I buy that? So <laughs> the, thing that we, the thing that we can't test of course is the, uh, the durability, like, I can't have that for two years and tell you if it's going to break. So I'm so we'll, we'll find out soon, I suppose.
0: Yeah, well, I, I you know there's a there's a level there to which you you have to trust that Samsung have been in this market now with you know a number of generations of phone. They've got a level of you know waterproof now, um, dust proof. Hey, that's a that's a, a different kettle of fish. It's not. Uh, Um, you know it's not not really not really there Um, but you know if you if you trust their brand if you think they stand behind it um, you know you buy it through and you buy it in New Zealand you're covered by the Consumer Guarantees Act as a if you buy that as a personal um, device sort of through those sort of retail channels so I I mean I would I wouldn't say look if this is the thing that's that's really exciting you I wouldn't you know I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about the reliability now. I would, um, you know, I would think the price points and the way our consumer uh, rules work. You should be able to go out and buy one of those with with a, a level of confidence um, and yeah. know that they would stand behind their product. So, I don't know. That's that's my take on it. Um, now we were going to delve into um, what's going on with with um, Apple and app stores, um, Google there as as well. Um, we don't have too much time left, but I, I think it would be, would be good just to give that, um, you know, a, a little bit of discussion because we have discussed here on the New Zealand tech podcast in, in the past, the, uh, the pressures that have come on, uh, Apple, um, we, we had Epic really sort of pushing and, uh, you know, re- remove, um, uh, was it Fortnite that, uh, really got removed out of, um, you know the App Store and the Google Play Store on Android because they didn't they didn't want to see um, there being a thirty percent um, you know slice of the of the revenue um, you know going back to the um, the the um, the software or the 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 platform uh, providers and uh, that sort of has really been the been the start of something um, you know quite big. We saw um, last week news through which. Um, which Apple actually shared around the um the arrangement that they'd come to with the uh the Fair Trade Commission in uh in Japan and the press release on um September 1 from Apple started with Apple will let developers of reader apps around the world link to an external website to set up or manage an account beginning early next year, um, you know with with quotes around reader apps now, this is a lot more than what I would class as, as reader apps there you know I believe they 're talking about things like Netflix, audiobooks, um, um, yes, sort of you know apps like kindle for um, uh, for ebooks and so on uh spotify etc so there's there's a lot of things actually fall under this uh that you know this this category they're calling um reader apps it does feel like there's a there's a little bit of a spin sometimes in these uh uh these press releases i suppose um (laughs) but uh and i mean where, where we've been you know in recent times is a lot of these apps there's just no way to actually sign up for them from from the app right because they haven't wanted to give that uh that margin um away yep. do you think apple apple's sort of a, a you know approach talking about these things as as fair sort of saying well you know the 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 cut that they take allows them to to run a really good and a safe ecosystem uh and and you know it's those funds that are coming back in that allow them to um
1: you know protect consumers I mean, as you, as you alluded to, there's so many different um, angles and arguments for this, this kind of, uh, discussion. So I suppose the, the thing that Apple got particularly annoyed about with Epic was that I, I suppose in general, it's kind of saying that without our platform, you wouldn't have the audience, um, which in some cases is true. In some cases could be seen as a, you know, slightly, um, yeah, wrong. <laughs> I mean, they've kind of created a monopoly or a duopoly if you include Google as well, where, as you were saying, uh, any in-app purchases, um, Apple can take a thirty percent cut now. So for some companies, and the argument goes both ways. You know, for companies like Epic, if they're you know turning over millions or sometimes you know hundreds of millions of dollars, is it fair that Apple gets such a huge cut um, just because uh, that's how that service or game or whatever has been delivered to a customer? Um, that company might be able to afford it. It gets a bit trickier as well, I think, with the, the smaller developers. If somebody, okay, Apple, the, Apple or Google, Apple in this case has given them a platform. But then if they're making, I think, um, Apple classes as small, small developers as anyone who's turning over less than a million a year, uh, us dollars, um, yeah, taking 30% from them, um, is a lot of their revenue. And you can apply for, you know, a small business program where you only do, uh, you only are charged 15%. But the argument here, like you were saying with these reader apps is that, um, companies now will be allowed. So <laughs> I actually have to write this down because it's so confusing, but there's been a recent decision which um, developers are now, Apple is allowing developers to contact the customers of people in the apps regarding alternative payment methods outside of the app, which that Lazy like was saying would, would forego Apple's charge, um, but they're not allowed to use data obtained within the app. So, to me, that reads as though, oh yeah, but you're allowed to contact you know paul who who signs up for this service, uh, but where did you get your his email address from from within the app oh yeah you can't you can 't reach out to him, so i don 't know and in the same, in the same press release, um Phil Schiller um, Apple executive, um, called the Apple app Store an economic miracle um, so as you say there's, there's like <laughs> there's a lot of um evocative language that Apple uses here about how it's, um it's deserved of its trillions and and some would argue um, that, that that's true. But it becomes a lot more difficult when you're talking about, you know, restricting revenue of people who are using your platform. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if yeah. there's one answer really. Is there? Yeah.
0: No and um look at the so we, that was that we had the Japanese news, and then i I saw around the same time or within a, within a day or two of it um, last week was South Korea um, passing a bill that 's limiting Apple and Google control um, over the, the the app store um, payments and yeah. um, basically the rules being there that um, you know developers would be able to take um, and process payments of of digital products and services um that that you know bypass the thir- their 30% um cut mm. so they don't have to pay a commission at all. So it it's gonna be um I think a, a little bit of a probably a rocky road ahead where um you know each player is is uh, is trying to get things sort of steered in a in a direction that uh, that that suits um them and um i I think it's uh it's definitely going to be quite a different um, state if we look and you know probably twelve months time it wouldn't be too much of a surprise to find you know on a on a reasonably global basis or in, in numerous countries um, that we have a scenario where you get that choice whether you pay through you know Apple or Google or whether you pay um, direct but you know there's still a huge benefit here to um you know to to Google and apple of just the convenience of paying for apps and paying for subscriptions um directly and so you know that'll be part of it and and I imagine some of them are going to offer discounts by moving off um you know outside of those ecosystems for um, for your payment, but uh, there there is a flip side, and you know I think particularly on the, the Apple side, um, and not that not that they're uh, they're perfect, um, but they've done a pretty good job of uh, of you know managing what uh, what goes through uh, the App Store, and um, mm. you know their, their their focus on on, on privacy and, and security has been uh, you know I think you know, pretty helpful to uh, to consumers
1: and uh, and to business users alike. That's the thing as well. Like when because we're just talking about the actual gadgets themselves, like the new iPhones and the you know the Galaxy Flips or whatever. And I think that's the thing that many people don't realise that the the payment they're giving to Apple and and, and Google, Apple in particular in this case, it doesn't actually end when you buy the phone. Like if every payment you make within an app. Thirty percent of that goes to Apple. I just think a lot of the, these companies are now having to face the, the, the wider awareness of these issues and the fact that they're global companies, but are now wanting to be regulated by local authorities is going to be interesting uh, to see where it lands.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it certainly uh, certainly w- w- will be. Um, anything else that you wanted to uh, add, Henry? I think we're uh, we're about uh, oh, yeah.
1: about about to wrap up. No, good. No, thanks a lot for having me. This is good fun. Uh, Obviously, I prefer we were together in person next time. But um, yeah, um, uh, thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no, great. Great to have you, Henry. Um, Businessdesk.co.nz is where uh, people can uh, can see your your stories.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We are. We are a paywalled entity. uh, But um, you can try try us uh, for a 10 day free trial uh, and see if you like what what you see. We've got a a wide range of stuff. But obviously, uh, text my round.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I've been really, really enjoying, um, you know, having a subscription to, to business desk and, uh, I mean, you know, that that's the way things have, have gone. Uh, and, you know, I think in, in many ways it uh, um, you know, it's sort of changing the landscape here in New Zealand. That there's uh, there's now you know money from subscriptions able to be you know really reinvested back into um, you know a range of media properties. And hmm. I think the depth of content within Business Desk is uh, has really um, you know stepped up with the subscription uh, model. And um, yeah, I was quite impressed when I looked through today and you know just looking at all the all the different um, you know writers uh, involved now. It's um not just um you know one or, one or two people
1: in there uh henry do you know how big the team is now oh man you're testing me now uh we're definitely under 20 editorially i think we're about 15 and we have um you know contributors like uh peter griffin um uh, the tech commentator uh, and, and others as well and uh, yeah it's just uh, it's a good place it's a good place for me to have worked um yeah and everyone is very passionate about um delivering content that people will want to read with angles that perhaps, perhaps other outlets haven't considered and trying to just uh, deliver the original journalism when we can. So that's what we've, uh, we've run head, head first into that. And, um, yeah, very grateful for everyone subscribing and, uh, yeah, hopefully we can continue along that path.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, um, thank you everyone for uh, for joining us on uh, on the show. A big thank you to our show partners. We really uh, really appreciate their ongoing uh, support. So yeah, big big thank you, Guerrilla Technology, uh, Vodafone, HP, Datacom, Palo Alto, Spark, Focus, and Umbrella Connect. So that is uh, that is us for uh, for this week on the uh, the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We will look forward to uh, catching you again uh, ne- next week. Um, and if you happen to be catching this on the uh, on the live video stream, um, well worth firing up your podcast app and actually subscribing to the N- NZ Tech podcast. It's free to subscribe, and uh, and that way you'll get looped in with with every episode, um, even if you're not in a position to uh, to catch us live. All right, thanks everyone. We'll catch you next time. Bye. New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.